Our sermon passage is Acts 4, 23 through 31. Beginning to read at verse 23, hear the perfect word of our perfect God. When they had been released, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, O Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand. The rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. And now, Lord, take notice of their threats. Grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence, while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they prayed, the place where they gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and begin to speak the word of God with boldness. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would fill me, that you would guide me, that the words of my lips, the meditation of my heart would be acceptable to you, governed by your word. Pray, O God, that you would receive glory and honor, and we ourselves would be built up into the image of Jesus. We pray these things in his name. Amen. You see the title of the sermon, Giving God the Glory. I want to look at this passage through the, the lenses of glorifying God or giving God um, glory, which is what I'm going to argue is going on. I realize this is a recorded prayer. You have the, the reason for the prayer, which will be persecution. Then you have the prayer itself running from uh, 24 to 30, 31. And then you have the answer of the prayer in verse uh, 32. But I'm going to argue that what we're looking at is an expression of uh, the Apostle Peter, the Apostle John, the rest of the believers giving God glory or glorifying God. So kind of a thematic sermon. Let me give us some words, uh, Hebrew and Greek, to uh, help us understand what it means to to glorify when we we say that. The two main words in uh, Greek, uh, Hebrew, excuse me, to glorify one is yada which is a lesser-known word. The other one is kabah, kavod, which is the greater word. Yada means to uh, to cast up, to lift up. The idea is to exalt God in our thoughts, in our words, in our affections, our deeds, to lift up God before ourselves, to lift up God before others, to show the greatness of God. That's that first word. And the second word, a kabah, a kavod, has the idea of um, the glory of God, the Shekinah glory. Remember that, the cloud, the pillar. That, that Hebrew word carries with it the idea of weightiness. Um, God is heavy. God is weighty. The idea is when we give God glory using that word is to show the, the mightiness of God, the greatness of God, the power of God, the riches of God, or the, the riches that are God. If you get, ever get a chance to read our confession, chapter 2 is on God and the Trinity. Uh, three articles, three paragraphs, 2, 1 through 3. I commit to your reading uh, chapter 2 this afternoon. When you, God is all-powerful, all-merciful, most wise, most terrible, 
that, that's what it means to, to lift up God, to consider God as, as weighty and great. It's the deep end of the theological swimming pool. And so I commit that to your reading. The notion here with extolling the, the, the greatness of God's person, his attributes, his works, his worship, the idea is to honor him, to reverence him, and obviously coupled with that is to adore him. And then to incite others or motivate others or, or invite others to likewise revere and adore God in his being, his, his works and his worship. That's what it means to glorify God as we look in the Old Testament scriptures. This is what God says through the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 43, 20. And he's talking about both um, creatures, lower creatures, in, in inanimate creatures, all things glorifying God, and then human beings, particularly redeemed human beings. Isaiah 43, verse 20. The beasts of the field, this is what God said, will glorify me. The jackals and the ostriches, because I have given waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my chosen people. The people which I formed for myself will declare my praise. So those are the kind of ideas surrounding giving God glory, acknowledging that God is, acknowledging his greatness, um, both in creation and in providence. And then when he talks about my people, acknowledging the greatness of God, the goodness of God, the mercy of God uh, in redemption, in salvation. In the Lord Jesus Christ, in the high priestly prayer, which is found in John chapter 17, Jesus takes another word in Greek, I think uh, to glorify in Greek is, is uh, doxazo, something like that. And this is how he uses that word to glorify. In John 17, Jesus spoke these things, lifting up his eyes to heaven. He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. This idea of Jesus coming to do the work of purchasing his church. He wants to, to give God the Father glory and honor. Glorify your son, that the son may glorify you, even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you've given him, that's the elect, he may give them eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was." So that's what we mean when we say to glorify God. We, we are acknowledging that he is, and we're, we're acknowledging his person, his attributes, all of the wonderful things about God. It's a Godwardness to, to bring God glory, as we see them doing here in this prayer. They're praying together. Um, they're, they're looking towards God and not towards man. They're trusting in God, not, towards, not trusting in man. That's in part what it means to give God glory. Um, by way of application, this may be true of some of us here in this room. Sometimes it's possible to get to a place in our life and to wonder, what's my purpose in life? This sometimes happens when uh, our kids get, get to be of an age, they, they move out of the house, and then the mother wonders, so what's my purpose? My kids are no longer in the house, what's my purpose? Or husbands may attain a certain uh, level of, of success in, in work or, or what have you. And they hit that goal. And after which they think, so, so what's my purpose? What's it all about? Beloved, if we could look away from all of those things and the difficulties we have wrestling with those things, there is an answer. 
Ultimately, we have been created by God to give glory to God. God gave us being. He gave us a body. He gave us a soul. He gave us a mind that we would love God, revere God, serve God. That's this. They're doing this in a prayer meeting, in worship. But we, we have been given our being, not to serve ourselves, but to serve God. I understand the fall. And we've been redeemed in Christ to do that which we've forsook in the fall. But human beings have their being to extol and revere God in everything we do. Uh, whether we eat or drink and whether we're high or low, sick or, or well, we have been given our being to give God the glory with our bodies, with our minds, with our affections, with our words, with our actions, to revere God in all that we do. Th- th- that's why we exist. And so we, we are glorifying God here in this corporate worship meeting. When we bow our heads to pray, whether corporately or if you're married with your wife, with your husband, uh, at home privately, when we bow our heads, oh God, oh Jesus, oh Holy Spirit, enable me. We're bringing God glory. We're doing that which we were created to do. I've said this many times. I didn't used to go to the horse races. I would go to the dog races, greyhounds in Massachusetts. Greyhounds have been created by God and men kind of breeding them to run. They're the most happy when they run. Look at a horse that's a racehorse. They're the most happy when they run. One of the reasons why we as Christians, and I'm going to put myself in here, we don't live as happily as we can with that overcoming sense of victory in Jesus as we can or as as possible. We're trying to do the impossible. We're trying to serve self and to to serve our kingdom and to to serve and to love God. Or to put it in the language of today's sermon, we're trying to glorify self and we're trying to glorify God. That's impossible. The moment we can seize from that and understand why God gave us our being, we exist for him. What's the chief end of man? To glorify God and to enjoy him. That's what's going on here. When we worship, we're glorifying God. When we pray, we're worshiping God. And that's how we uh, enjoy him. And when we can take our eyes off of ourselves, what was John the Baptist's prayer? Uh, Lord, may I decrease, may you increase. That's bringing God glory. And, and to the extent that we can do that, to seek God's kingdom, to be Godward focused, to be Christward in, in our prayer life, in our worship life, in, in our workaday life, we will be giving God the glory. And I would argue when we're able to take our eyes off of self and our kingdom and give God the glory and not seek our own glory, then God will restore to us the joy of our salvation. So this is what it means to bring God glory. Now, I should say something that giving God the glory does not mean. When we give God glory, we don't add to his greatness. We are not making God glorious or good or powerful or holy or merciful. We don't add to God. God is, in, there, there's a fancy theological, theological term, the aseity of God. God is the independent one. He is the essential one. He is uncreated. He's underived. This is the, the Exodus chapter 3. He's the great Jehovah, Yahweh. He is. He is immutably perfect. So when we're talking about giving God glory or, or 
inciting others to magnify him and acknowledge him. We're not adding to God. Sometimes when we Christians witness Jesus or share the gospel like this, believe in Jesus and you're going to make God's day. Well, believe in Jesus and (laughs) your day will be made. You'll pass from death to life, from darkness to light. We're not adding to God. It's impossible to add to God. It's impossible to subtract from God. So when we are glorifying God or inciting others to glorify God, we are merely acknowledging biblically, which is to say rightly, who and what he is, how he has revealed himself in, in creation, how he has revealed himself in redemption. So we give God glory when we think of God, speak of him, think of him, feel of him, live for him in a biblical fashion. That's what it means to give glory to God. So don't think, well, I am going to add anything to God. We don't. Even as, um, even as redeemed, the redeemed, we're creatures. And even when we die and go to heaven as Christians, we are still going to be creaturely. When we go to heaven, we're not going to know everything as, as uh, redeemed in heaven because we'd have to be God. We're always dependent creatures. In heaven, we're going to be perfectly creaturely in heaven, but we won't, we won't know everything like God. And so we're not adding to this perfect God. We are merely reflecting uh, to ourselves and to others what this perfect God is. As I mentioned, to bring God glory or to glorify God in Christ is to live a Godward or a Christward life and not a selfward life. The Puritans would say self or pride is that it's like a hydra. You chop off the head and it just grows. I would argue it's the last thing that dies is our pride. It's just this this tyrant self. Read Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says you can't serve God. You can't serve God in, in mammon. You cannot serve Christ in self. And you can't seek to glorify Jesus Christ and to glorify self at the same time. One will give way to the other. And what we're looking at here in this prayer, in this prayer meeting, in this worship is people are looking away from themselves and they're looking to God and God blesses them by answering their prayers. And so we have been created to bring God glory. Um, As born-again people, we have been recreated in Jesus Christ to honor God, to glorify God. Let me read something to you from the epistle of Peter, the first epistle. As a believer, this is why, in part, God has saved you in Jesus Christ is that you would live that Christward, God-glorifying, God-reliant life. 1 Peter 4.10 No matter whether you're a preacher, no matter what station God has called you in, God has called you to live a Christward, God-glorifying life. As each one, this is every one of us, as each one, 1 Peter 4.10 has received a special gift. Employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. You see what God the Holy Spirit inspires Peter to say? 
Again, we're seeing a species of this in this prayer meeting. But the Holy Spirit says that for all of those who are found in Jesus Christ, he's gifted us. He's given us gifts. He's placed us in the body. He's given us particular stations and callings. And God the Holy Spirit says to every single one of us that we should understand what part of the body that we we fit in, the gifts that we have, and we should use them to serve God and to serve others for Christ's sake. And this gives God glory and honor and praise is what he's saying. And I want to show, if you take out your, again, if you look at what we read, look at Acts 4, 24, and I'm going to just walk through to verse 31 to show us indeed that in this prayer we see a manifestation of these believers looking away from man, looking away from self, and being fixated upon God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You see it in their language. As you, as you walk through, if it's your Bible, I want you to under, underline every time it says God or Lord or your servant, meaning God's servant, Christ Jesus. And this indeed is what we're looking at. This prayer manifests these believers giving God glory. Verse 24, they lifted up their voices to God. Uh, and, O Lord, it is you who made the heavens and the earth. Again, they're looking away from themselves and they're looking to God. Um, by the mouth of, your, of our father David, your servant. And then verse 27, your holy servant Jesus, you anointed uh, your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. Verse 29, and now Lord, take notice of their threats. Grant your bond servants to speak your word. Extend your hand through the name of your holy servant, Jesus Christ. Beloved, I know this is true. If we could quantify how much we think of ourself in this world versus God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, in his kingdom, I would argue that we would win in our thoughts, in our affections, even in our deeds, in our words, over and against God. I, I, I think that I would be right. Every time we would say, me, mine, my wife, my children, my uncle, my brother, my kingdom, my, 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 underline. Look at what we see the Holy Spirit inspires these brothers and sisters to do. Your word, your kingdom, your servant, your power, your goodness, your providence. Oh God, enable us to speak boldly for you. And it was the Holy Spirit that answered that and enable these Christians to give God the glory. I need that. I need that. I think we, we all, as God's people, need to be this kind of Godward, Christward, God-glorifying people, seeking God more than we seek ourselves. Now, let me take a step back from what we see specifically in the prayer meeting to kind of putting it in context with the with the book of the book of Acts. If you remember way back when I mentioned what the book of Acts represents thematically in a big picture way. We call it the Acts of the Apostles or the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles, the Acts of the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ through the Apostles, through the ministers of Jesus. What we're looking at in, in, the, in the book of Acts is the extension of Christ's kingdom. The extension of Christ's kingdom. And the way that the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ goes out is he sends his servants out 
they're gospelers and they have the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we mentioned in Sunday school, they preach law and they preach gospel. He sends out preachers. He, send, he doesn't send out priests. He doesn't send out painters. He sends out preachers. And the preachers go out and say, um, the wages of sin is death. And fornicators and liars and homosexual offenders and thieves and those kind of things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And you've all fallen short of the glory of God. And that proclamation of the law um, by the powerful hand uh, and the blessing of the, the Holy Spirit brings conviction and how the extension of the kingdom of Christ works individually is one soul at a time is convicted of their sin. And then that gospel call goes out, look to the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And one soul at a time looks at the Lamb of God and says, thou son of David, have mercy. And the kingdom is built up. That's how it looks individually. And then corporately, how the kingdom looks, the extension of it looks corporately. The moment we are joined to Jesus Christ savingly, we are joined to brothers and sisters spiritually and mystically. And we, we call that fellowship that we enjoy with other Christians the church. The gathering of, of those who believe in the gospel along with our children, that gathering, that body is the church. So what the book of Acts represents is the, is, is the, is the extension and the success of the gospel. That brings honor to God. And we see the extension of the church going from Jerusalem to the four corners of the earth. That brings honor to God. And what we have here in verse 23 is really they're sharing what I would argue is the first opposition to the Christian church by the Sanhedrin. I'm going to mention this. The gospel call will go out despite the enmity or the hatred of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And that's going to bring honor to God. Man, being moved along and deceived by the evil one, says, essentially, I am God, God is not. That's the great lie. The great lie of the devil from Genesis chapter 3 is, you can be God, not, you don't have to listen to God. You can be your own Lord. An unconverted man says to the God of the Bible, I'm my own master. I'm my own God. I'm my own king. It will be my kingdom that will, be, be, will prevail. That's, uh, what is, what's the Tower of Babel? Genesis chapter 11, that's Babel. That's the city of man thinking they're going to prevail over the city of God. And what the book of Acts represents is the city of God prevails against the city of man. It's the new Jerusalem prevails over the great Babylon. And beloved, we don't think so. I mean, you, you look around. If we, reasoned by, if we reasoned by sight or by flesh and not by faith, does it look like the world or Antichrist is winning? Or does it look like Christ is winning? If you reason by, by, by flesh, looks like they're winning. When we come to the Bible, we know the truth of it. Jesus Christ is the super overcomer, and we super overcome in him. So the extension of Jesus' kingdom in the face of opposition by the world of flesh and the devil, in this instance, by the Jewish Sanhedrin, this honors God. It honors the power of God. It honors the being of God. It honors the goodness of God that God is busy saving from every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation. No one can stop the Holy Spirit. No one can stop him from performing heart surgery on one heart at a time. Jesus is the great strong man. I know sometimes you go to Pentecostal churches, they're busy, I used to go to Pentecostal churches where they're busy binding the strong man. 
Jesus is the, is the strongest man. Jesus binds the strong man. Jesus plunders the kingdom of the devil. This is the Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 2. He sets the captives free. And that's what's going on here. And the devil is, is not happy with this. Uh, and notwithstanding, God causes the growth. So the expansion of the church, so the expansion of the kingdom, one soul at a time, what, what, what does the Bible say? The angels long to look into one person being converted, one sinner being saved in Jesus Christ. They're astounded that God would save sinners in Jesus Christ. Likewise, not only does that bring God glory and the angels rejoice, when the church advances despite the enmity of the world and the devil, that honors God. That honors God. Now, in our passage, what we're looking at, look at what Peter and John, the two apostles, if you were with us last week, you know the context. They're out there preaching Jesus. They heal in the name of Jesus. The Sanhedrin, which is the Jewish Supreme Court, you have the, the, the high priest with 70 elders and the other people are there. They, they arrest Peter and John. And look at that. When we talk about bringing God the glory or giving Jesus glory and honor and loving Jesus and acknowledging him inwardly and outwardly, it's not as if that God says to us, okay, I'm going to bring you to a mountaintop. I'll bring you to an easy place and that's where you're going to glorify me. Remember how I mentioned we're always creaturely, even saved in Jesus, even in heaven, we're always creaturely. Even as God's beloved children, the saved. He's always God. He's always the Lord. We are the children. We are the servant. We cannot dictate to God. We can't say to God, oh God, I will honor you. I'll revere you. If you could just put me in a state of health, if I could have the kind of wealth I would like, or if you put me in a certain scenario, then I will bring you honor. Beloved, it doesn't work that way. God says to the apostle Peter and the apostle John, you're going to honor me you're going to give glory to me when I put you in prison. I want you to think of that. You remember that? The Apostle Paul does the same thing in the book of Philippians. Paul's put in jail for preaching Jesus. And you know what Paul says? This is God's platform for me to honor Jesus where? In jail. To what people? The jailer. Have you ever done this in prayer? You're facing some situation that you cannot figure out. And you need God to do something. And you, you, you go to, oh God, and then in your prayer, you're trying to figure out, oh God, you could give me this, and if you gave me that, you're trying to figure out what he could give you. Beloved, that's directing him. You'll get to a place in your prayer life where you, you, can't, even, you can't even figure it out. You can't even direct him. But if we have a, a, a Godward mindset, set, a, set, a Christward mindset, when he, whatever venue we're in, whether we're in jail, whether we're sick, whether we're at a funeral, whether we have money or no money, every venue we are in is an opportunity given to us by our sovereign God to live for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, to testify in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. You're in jail. I believe in Christ. Christ is on the throne. In jail. And so these men have been jailed for preaching Jesus immediately when they're released, what do they do? It's very significant. Look at verse 23. What does Peter and John do as soon as they're let out of prison? 
The Sanhedrin has said, now don't you go preaching in the name of Jesus. In fact, I don't want you talking about Jesus anymore. They immediately go from jail in the Sanhedrin. And where do they go? They go to church. They go to church. Remember I said we've been created. We have our being to give glory to God. As believers, wherever you are in the body, God has saved you in Jesus to give honor and reverence and glory to God. Now, one of the ways that we practically honor God is by obeying him in his word. The Apostle Peter, the Apostle John, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, show us one of the fundamental ways that truly born-again people reverence God. They go from their enemies and immediately they go to church. I've done this, beloved, not to pick on anybody. Sometimes, you know, when you just make, I call it jib-jab, you just jib-jab. Some people are good at jib-jabbery. Other people are not good at jib-jabbery, chit-chat. You're just shooting the breeze. You're just trying to fill up. I don't like to hear silence, so I jib-jab. It's not a good habit. And as a Christian, as a minister, I do Christian jib-jabbery. And you meet someone, and you're talking, and you go, oh, um, so uh, you're Christian. Oh, yeah, 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 Jesus, yeah, yeah. What's the next question I'm going to ask? Where do you go to church? I'm not prying. I'm not going to pick on you if you're an Arminian. Where do you go to church? And beloved, every once in a while, this is what you're going to... Oh, yeah, yeah, I have a church. Yeah, yeah. What's the name of it? I just, I'm just jib-jab. I mean, it's a building. It's white. It's down the street, and I, it's over there. You don't go to church. <laughs> You don't know who the minister is. You don't know the name of the church. It's over there somewhere in Pensacola. You don't go to church. I'm, again, I'm not picking. The Bible says don't forsake the gathering together. When we say, yeah, I'm a Christian. Oh, oh, Jesus, I love him so much. And I don't go to church. Again, this is not the person that's not providentially hindered. You're sick. You're in the hospital. You're in the ICU. It's none of that. These people get out of prison and they show the reflex of faith. They go from the enemies of God, where? To the children of God. They belong to a church. They know the church. This has been happening since Acts chapter 1. As soon as, they're con- as, soon as people are born again, what do they do? Under the inspiration, of the, the guidance of the Spirit, what do they do? They go looking for other Christians. Why? Because it will say, the, the Greek word is idios. In the, they, they use the word companion. The companion or people is added by the translators, but that's the meaning. They go to their own people. I've heard people say to me as a minister, this kind of people are my people. That kind of people are my people. They have to be three quarters Irish and a quarter German. They have to speak with a Boston accent. They're my people. Beloved, they're not our people. They're not. I mean, I go home and when I go home, I like I switch back into my Bostonese and I I, I love that as much as the next guy. They're not my people. Who are our people? And it, and it reveals it. Believers, people joined to Jesus, are joined to other people joined to Jesus. And as they have opportunity, they go to church because they're with their own people. And that, that brings glory to God. Remember we're talking about we all want purpose in life. Everybody wants a purpose in life. Most of us are not going to be bazillionaires and movers and shakers. In fact, most people are not movers and shakers. Jesus didn't choose the movers and shakers. He chose the schnooks and made us rich in Jesus. 
But the meaning of our life is we can live to bring honor to the name of Jesus. This, the great thing that they're doing is they leave the enemies and they go to church. They go to be with brothers and sisters. And God is pleased with that. It honors God. You know what the devil said to Job? The devil said to, uh, to uh, God concerning Job, you take away his stuff. He's going to curse you to your face. And God said, no, he won't. Watch. Watch what faith will do. See, faith is a spiritual gift. Faith can do that which flesh cannot do, but it can be seen. You can see and hear. It's going to look like something. You'll know true faith by their fruits. And one of the ways that we acknowledge that God is and that we really believe God is, like no fooling. It's easy to say, oh yeah, Christian, yes. I'm a Christian. Oh, the Bible. Oh, I believe. Oh, Sola Scriptura. I'm a Protestant. Uh, Five points, tulip. It's easy to say that. Easy, squeezy. One of the things, verse 23 represents the initial phase of opposition to the church, opposition to the gospel. None of us are in favor of opposition. No one likes pain. No one likes the crucible. No one here. No one in their right mind. I'm going to tell you something that you guys could tell me. We don't, we, you don't have to sign up for this. You don't have to sign up for the crucible. If you're a believer, God is going to put you in the crucible. It's just, he does it. Why? Because he gets glory in the crucible. We think he's going to get glory on the mountaintop. If he puts us on a mountain, we try to give him glory. But it's in the crucible. The devil says to God and to the world, watch these Christians. Touch their health. Touch their kids. Touch their wife. Touch their money. Touch. Take away. They'll forget Jesus. They'll reject him. Oh, it's the exact opposite. The opposition to Jesus, the opposition to his church, will prove our spiritual nature. You remember, um, is it Judges or Joshua? Who's on the Lord's side? Who's on the Lord's side? The enemies of Jesus are not on the Lord's side. The friends of Jesus, the lambs of Jesus are on the Lord's side. They go from the, being with the enemies and immediately they go to be with their friends. Beloved, I'm going, to ask, I'm going to ask you this. What side are you on? What side are you on? Who, none of us know how long we're going to live. There's not a person who knows how long we're going to live. I don't know if I'm going to drop over dead by the time I finish. That's actually my, my desire is to drop dead in the pulpit. But we, we have no idea. Choose this day. Whose side are we on? And it's evident. And when opposition comes, it's evident who we belong to. Will you stick with Jesus when times are easy? It's easy to stick with Jesus when times are easy. It proves nothing. Stick with Jesus when everything goes. What did Job, what did Job say? What brings God glory? When we gather to be with God's people despite the enmity of the devil in the world and the flesh, God gets the glory. God gets the honor. We are saying before men, our Jesus is more worthy than your threats against my life. I will love him. I'll worship him. I'll pray to him. Even though you command me not to under the threat of death. God gets glory for that. And I'm going to argue that's when the Holy Spirit fills us. That's when our faith is strengthened. And I'm going to argue as well, we are happier 
I'm not saying laugh, giddy, happier. Remember that racehorse? We have been created to run for Jesus, to live for Jesus, to serve him. And the crucible shows us whose side we belong. And these people show us by going to be with the people of God, to uh, be with Christians. Christians spend time with other Christians. And when I say Christian, I mean the born-again kind. I recognize there can be a Judas, people that are nominal. They just say Jesus. Um, They're going to prove it. Um, There are big churches. I'm not against big churches. I would love to have a big church. Um, When real persecution were, were to come, like death for naming Jesus, I would argue you probably wouldn't have 30,000 person churches who are coming for the Kung Fu class and for uh, the coffee shop. I don't think you could get 30,000 people to come to to Christian uh, yoga uh, if it means death. That's what's going on here. It means something. They're loving Jesus. They're clinging to Jesus. They're worshiping Jesus in the face of opposition. Oh, beloved, that shows what we really are. Now, I mentioned this is a prayer. What they're doing is prayer, and prayer is a species of worship. I would argue perhaps worship is, uh, we've been created, this is why Calvin starts with worship, I think, in his, in his institutes. As creatures, we've been created to worship God. As born-again people, we have been recreated in Jesus to worship God. That's our whole purpose. That's what it means to glorify God. And they, they leave the enemies. They gather to be with their friends. And look at what they're doing. They're praying. The people of God are praying together. And they've been regularly doing this. Acts 1.13. When they entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John's and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, Judas, the son of James, with all, they were all with one mind. Now, now listen to this. This is this worship that they're having. They were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers, Acts 1.14. They were continually devoting themselves to prayer. We've been created to glorify God. We've been born again to worship God. We have been put in the crucible that we would glorify God. When we gather together with other Christians, we give honor to God. And in the, the chief way that we do it is through prayer. I'm going to tell you something. This is true confessions. It is hard to pray. Is it not? Is it not? I, I want you to do this for, for yourself. Think of your past week, just from Monday to, to today. Think Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday to today. And what I want you to think for your own life Walk through Monday, Tuesday. Did you pray on Monday? Personally. Did you pray? And I don't mean weaving through traffic. Did you pray? Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. How long did you pray? I'm not, I promise I'm not picking. They continually devoted themselves to... I'm indicting myself... I pray, I I have worship in the morning. My wife has worship at the house in in the morning. And then we try to have worship at night. And we kind of compare notes. And I said to her the other day, did you have worship today? She goes, oh, it was glorious. I I read this and I read a psalm and I was singing around the house and I was praying. And she said, did you pray? I said, I tried for 30 minutes and I couldn't pray. I had knee time. 
I, I had word time. And she said, what was happening? I said, I was dry as dust. I was dry as dust. I tried to pray, but I couldn't pray. Am I the only one that's ever had that? Prayerful lives brings honor to God. It honors Jesus. It testifies to ourselves, to Christ, to other people that we really believe in Jesus. Look at what they say. Pontius Pilate's not going to crush the church. The Sanhedrin's not going to crush the church. The Jews are not going to crush the church. The Gentiles are not going to crush the church. Why? Because God's on the throne. That brings glory to God in prayer. When we go to when we open up our mouths in prayer, and it, it, it is hard. The Puritans would say oftentimes we stop praying before we start praying. That means we're moving our lips. We're moving our lips. That's what I meant when I told my wife I had, I had knee time. I, or I say I had word time. I say right things. But my heart's far away. I'm fixing my bike. I'm fixing the truck. I'm fixing the soffits in my head. While I'm saying, oh Jesus, I love you. I totally love you. How am I going to fix that wood rod? That's not prayer. And when I'm looking at the soffits and I'm speaking words towards God, I'm dishonoring God. Tell your wife that you love her while you're looking at the newspaper. You're going you're gonna to offend your wife. Telling God that you love him while you're looking at the soffits, you're going to offend your God. They devote themselves to prayer. I wish, we don't believe in magic. I wish I could wave the magic wand for me and for everyone in this room. Christ was a praying, praying Christ. The church was a praying church. How did this group of ragamuffins this is a bunch of ragamuffins. You think, well, if we converted the intelligentsia, if we converted the academy, if we had converted oh, politicians every four years, don't start me. They just say Jesus and then we're like suckers. He takes ragamuffins and he turns the whole world upside down. How did he do it? They devoted themselves to and look at the language that these people use to bring glory to God. They quote some too. A bunch of fishermen, a bunch of ragamuffins know the Bible. Beloved, it's not having the degrees. Remember before, the Sanhedrin said, who are these guys? They don't even have any degree. They didn't even go to seminary. They're not even really ministers. Where are the big boys? And God takes the nothings and with the word of God, he uses that messianic psalm, the kings of the earth are going to rattle their sabers at God and they're going to say, we're going to overthrow your kingdom. And what does God do? He laughs in their face. They use the language that God, this is another thing that I do that I think might help. If you run out of what to pray for in your prayer to give God the glory, pray the Bible. Pick up the Bible. Pick up the Psalms. Appropriate those words for your words. And notice what they pray for. And this brings honor to God. What do they pray for? Oh God, I wish I was healthy. Oh God, I wish I had my mom back. I wish I had my dad back. Oh God, I wish I had more money. I wish the stock market wasn't crashing. Oh God, this. Oh God, that. Is that what they pray for? Look at what they pray for. God, we want to be bold. They're threatening us. Don't you say, Jesus. Don't you preach the gospel of Jesus. You shut up. You don't live for Jesus. That's the world right now. 
I was talking to a brother in the military and my son's in the military, and this is true, in many venues. Oh, you can have your little Jesus. You can have your religion. You just shut up and keep him at the house. Right? Or you're going to get canned. Bad things will happen to you. You keep your Christianity private. You're ashamed of me before men. I'm going to be ashamed of you before the Father. And look at what these guys pray. We want to be bold. Not obnoxious. Bold. We want to speak the name of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus. We want to live for Jesus in an anti-Christ world. Why do they need strength for that? Because you're going to get your head handed to you. (laughs) Beloved, living for Jesus isn't done by the power of the flesh. It's done by the power of God. They pray to live for Jesus Christ. This is convicting to me. One of, the, one of the magisterial reformers said, after he read this prayer, he said to himself, have I ever prayed? I mainly pray for health and those kind of things. They pray for gospel success, for success as a Christian, rather than those other things. It's, it's okay to pray for those other things. Have you ever prayed? God, strengthen me to live a christ honoring life that Christ would come out of my words he would come out in my feelings and my actions no matter what and that you would strengthen me beloved the Bible says that God will give us the desires of our heart the Bible says if we pray and ask in his name he'll give us and lots of people said I pray for lots of things I've prayed for health for myself a bazillion times and God has not taken away a couple of thorns in the flesh because it wasn't his will but I know what is what his will is to live for the glory of Jesus right now wherever you're at oh God would you give me the power to live for the honor of the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit and beloved God will give you the desires of your heart and he will strengthen you to live for him may we live for him may God be pleased with the preaching of his word